so good to be in the Lord's house with you this morning as we continue our series through uh, the book of Habakkuk. But before we get going on that, let me just uh, clear up some potential confusion. I am Pastor Chris. I am not Pastor Nate. Pastor Nate and I may be bullheaded guys on staff, and we may have similar glasses, but we are not the one and the same, and we are not twinsies. Uh, he is, uh, he may be a better, a little better looking to me, but I'm definitely taller than him. <laughs> uh, as Larry was saying earlier, let's, let's do be praying for uh, Harvest Georgetown. Uh, Pastor Nate is actually preaching this morning there to give Pastor Miche a break, and uh, they're going through the book of Habakkuk as well. So how cool is that, that we uh, are going through uh, the book of Habakkuk, and they are pretty much at the same time this morning. So may God uh, unite our hearts together as we dive into his word. Well, today we come to uh, chapter three. This is the final chapter of uh, this book, and we're actually going to to slow uh, our pace a bit here and spend the next three Sundays in this chapter. And the reason for that is that there's a shift that takes place in the whole movement of things in this book. In fact, uh, chapter three is a pivotal text that leads us to a climactic resolution. And so uh, this week, we're going to remember the work of God. And then next week, we're going to proclaim the greatness of God. And then Pastor Nate will be back to close out the series here on the 31st of July with uh, rejoicing in the hope of God. Now, let me start here by asking us a question this morning. How is your fear of God these days? What does... uh, what does the, your, your awe and, and wonder of him look like in your life? In fact, let's get real practical. Let's get real practical. Um, if we could measure the fear of God on a scale from zero to 10, and I know, I know we, it's not that easy, but bear with me, okay? Go with me on this. Zero being um, no fear of God whatsoever, no awe of him, and 10 being a perfect awe of him, which I think we can say none of us in this room would be a 10. That's reserved for Jesus. Where would you put yourself on that scale? Between zero and 10, where would you fall these days? As you kind of contemplate that and ponder that for a moment, let me just share with you where I fall on the scale right now. Uh, On any uh, given day, I, I tend to fluctuate between a five and a seven. Now you might be sitting there saying, well, wait a second, I thought it was a prerequisite in Scripture that a pastor had to be at least an 8, and most likely a (laughs) 9.5. Well, we are also on this road of growing in the Lord as well. And pastors have not attained some higher level of sanctification. Uh, No pastor has. We're with you. And we're seeking to grow with you. And so some days my awe and reverence of God just seems to soar as high as the mountains. And that's a a seven. And then other days, man, I just seem to uh, swoop down low into the valley of the shadow of death. That would be more like a five for me. I'm going to just take a wild guess and say that I'm not alone in this room with that struggle. True? So have you ever stopped and thought about why our fear of God is so low at times? Might it be this? 
Might it be that we're all prone to forget the work of God? Could it be that in the midst of our own brokenness and the brokenness of this world that we live in, that we often forget God's great works? I mean, it kind of makes sense. If we forget his work, why in the world would we be in awe of him? Why would we fear him? Why, why would there be a wonder and, and, and amazement there? And so logically that makes sense. And if that's true, then here's what I propose. I propose that if we remember the work of God, then we'll have a, a greater fear of God that will stir us to greater worship and adoration of God. And in fact, that's exactly what happens to Habakkuk in our text this morning. He remembers the work of God that stirs him to greater awe of God, hunger for God, and a deeper desperation for God. And I'm excited that we get to chew on this uh, scripture passage this morning. So uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We're just covering two verses uh, this morning. And you might be wondering uh, if this is going to be a 10-minute sermon. I can promise you that it will not be. But I'll also promise that it won't be greater than 60 minutes. First service reacted more quickly. Uh, uh, love being with you guys and opening God's word. Habakkuk chapter three, verse one, okay. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigano. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, Remember mercy. Uh, These first two uh, chapters in uh, this book are about a a dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And the the prophet asks some some hard questions, some tough questions of God. And God graciously responds. So thankful that he did. And now we come to to chapter 3. And there's a shift away from dialogue and, and, and into this now, this prayer of Habakkuk to God, it actually becomes more of a monologue at this point. Only it's not a prayer of uh, lament or complaint. I think Habakkuk got that out of his system earlier in the book. Instead, it's a prayer of adoration and resolution. By the way, did you notice, as we read verse 2, Habakkuk's shift in tone and posture at the beginning of the prayer? And if we look really, really closely at the text, this uh, makes perfect sense considering how chapter 2, verse 20 ends. Look at verse 20, if you would, please. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know, there's a, a time and a place to ask God questions. God invites it. He encourages it. He enjoys it when we wrestle things out with questions. But then there's also a time and place for respectful silence before a holy, righteous, awesome God. And so Habakkuk's tone and posture here, we see in verse two, change. I think this is an important point for us to remember. When we encounter the living God, it should change something about us. We're either going to fall flat on our faces before him in worship or 
It's going to drive us to even uh, deeper hard-heartedness and rebellion toward God and further away from him. But when we encounter the living God, it should do something to us. Also, let me just make a note here. Uh, Remember when God told Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous shall live by faith? Well, right here in this text today, we're seeing faith in action. Righteousness on the move. Now, here in verse 1, there's this phrase here at the end of it. It says, according to Shigenot. Let me just explain that just briefly here. Likely, this is not the name of a person. I mean, who in the world would name their child that? Even in the ancient world. (laughs) Um, Instead, it's likely a uh, musical term, especially when we look at the end of this book in, in verse 19 where it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. It's, a, it's likely that this prayer was sung as part of Israel's corporate worship together. Now look at uh, verse 2 here with me. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Habakkuk says that, that he has heard the report of God. In other words, God's reputation precedes him. God is is divinely famous for his works. And it makes sense on the one hand because God's works uh, have been so mighty and great through redemptive history. I just kind of paused as I was studying this text this week and I thought of Rahab the prostitute in in Joshua chapter 2. The spies are sent in uh, to uh, uh, spy out the land of Canaan in preparation for the invasion and uh, uh, they come up to to Rahab and uh, she hides them in their house, in her house, and uh, she says this. She says, we have heard the report of your God. Actually, it's more personal than that. She uses God's personal name, Yahweh. We have heard his works of how he has brought you out of captivity in Egypt, how he parted the Red Sea and has brought you across the land of the desert and wilderness. We've heard. I also thought of uh, uh, Job. Uh, Job had gone through some immense uh, struggling and, and uh, suffering through no fault of his own. And uh, God allowed him to wrestle with that for a while. And then at the end of Job, toward the end of it, God says, okay, Job, now it's time for you to be quiet. And it's time for you to listen. And what does God do for basically two and a half chapters? He recounts his works of greatness in front of Job. One thing after the next. And how does Job respond? He says this. He says, before I had heard of your work, but now I have seen it right before my eyes. You see, God's great works have been heard. People know about God's work. In fact, you have to work really hard to block it out. Now, uh, think of some people throughout history whose works we have heard. Uh, I think of someone like Sir Isaac Newton. He invented calculus and something called Newtonian mechanics. And if you're uh, familiar with that term, you're probably a scientist or engineer. By the way, he did all of that during uh, a global pandemic 
when he was quarantined alone in his house. <laughs> what have you and I done in the last two years? <laughs> then I think of Mozart. He was composing songs, symphonies actually, by the age of five. And at the time of his death, he only lived to be 35 years old. The time of his death, he had composed some 800 plus works. Then I think of Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat on the bus as a young African-American girl and became a key figure in the civil rights movement. Then there's Martin Luther. He, he, he uh, took his 95 theses and he, he, he nailed them to uh, the doors of the Catholic Church and with it sparked a reformation that we still enjoy to this day, nearly 500 years later. Helen Keller comes to mind, uh, blind and deaf at, at the age of two, but she would go on to champion the rights of those with physical disabilities. We could go on and on. Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Henry Ford, Abraham Lincoln, St. Augustine, Marie Curie, who, by the way, uh, was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize and the only woman to date to win it twice, physics and chemistry. And then, of course, I had, to, I had to throw this one in here. James Naismith. Oh, come on, you guys know who he is. It's Hoosiers. He's the guy that invented basketball. I know we think we did. He gets the credit. Canadian. Now, these people are all famous to us today because of their works. And it engenders a certain level of respect and admiration in us. How much more so for Yahweh? Habakkuk has heard and remembered the works of Yahweh here. I wonder, by the way, if, if his dialogue with God uh, in the previous two chapters caused him to stop and reflect upon the works of God. He looks back on redemptive history and is reminded of the work of God. And, and so how does Habakkuk respond? Well, it says right here in verse 2 in our text, it says, In your work, O Lord, do I fear. He responds with fear. He responds with, with awe and wonder, maybe even perhaps a little physical fear. It brings us to an important truth here. You might want to jot this down. Remembering the work of God brings a greater fear of God. Remembering the work of God brings greater fear of God. Of God. This is, this is the truth here in this passage, and we see this truth actually all throughout Scripture. Whenever God's people remembered and meditated on the work of God, it brought a deeper awe, respect, adoration, love, joy, and hunger for God. From Moses to David to Solomon to Isaiah to Peter to, to Stephen to the Apostle Paul, the pages of the Bible bear witness to the truth that when we remember the work of God, it brings a greater fear of God. So I have to ask the question again, how is your awe of God today? You may be here this morning in the midst of uh, terrible suffering. Or you may be here this morning in, in absolute rebellion against God. 
Or you might even be here this morning caught up in the chaos and confusion by other people's brokenness. How should you respond? What should you do about that? Remember the work of the Lord. Don't let the the noise and the chaos crowd out and distract us from the work of the Lord. And remembering it, ponder it, sit in it, soak it up, savor it. Because scripture says if we do, it'll increase our awe of him. Let's continue here. Pick up here in the beginning of verse two again. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Habakkuk uh, now moves from adoration to petition. He asked God to revive the work, uh, to do the work from the past in his present day to reveal it to his people. Don't mask it, God. Don't veil it. Let us see it. Make it known, oh God. You see, Habakkuk is hungry to see more of God's past work done in his present time. Earlier, God told Habakkuk a little of what he's going to do in Israel using the Chaldeans or Babylon. That hasn't happened yet. But here, The prophet is remembering God's past works of greatness and he's petitioning the Lord to continue them now. He's hungry for more of God. Habakkuk remembers the work of God, which creates a greater fear of God, which then leads to greater hunger for God. Remembering the past work of the Lord stirs within us a desire to see more of God's work in the present. When God whets our appetites for more of his glory, it brings a yearning and an insatiable hunger for more, and only the Lord can satisfy the insatiable. So when he awes us with his works, it gives us a a desire to see more of him. For example, when I read in my Bible how God freed Israel from Egypt, the captivity there, and how that points to a greater exodus where Jesus Christ leads us out of the captivity of sin. Or when I I see the the symmetry in scripture between the, the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, and then later the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. Or when I read in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, that Jesus Christ upholds, right now, upholds the universe by the word of his power? It's amazing. You say, what about the laws of nature? Aren't those upholding the universe? Yeah, but who created those? And who's upholding those? Astounding. Amazing. It gives uh, me a, a delight to, and desire to see more. When I remember the salvation work God has done in my daughter's lives, all three of them professing Christ, God's grace. I'm filled with wonder and amazement and I find myself praying, more God, more of your work like that. 
More of your work in my life, more of your work in my family's life, more of your work in your lives, and more of your work in the lives of those beyond these walls to the ends of the earth. Oh God, do more. We want to see greater and greater things that lead us to deeper and deeper fear and worship and adoration of you. And so Habakkuk wants to see God work in ways that reveals more of himself as well. And he even repeats uh, this uh, petition uh, for more of God's work twice here in back-to-back lines. And, and often in Hebrew poetry, when that, we see that repetition, it, it, it functions as an intensifier. It's like, hey, Lord, uh, renew your work. Oh, oh, God, reveal your work. We hunger for it. We desire it. That's the, the sense in which... Habakkuk is petitioning the Lord. Now look how he finishes here. Look at the last line of verse two. Last line of verse two. In wrath, remember mercy. These opening lines of Habakkuk's prayer move from adoration to petition and now to plea. And the prophet pleads with God for mercy in the midst of wrath. See, God has, has told Habakkuk that he's bringing temporary judgment upon Israel for their sin and disobedience. And the, the prophet correctly recognizes that God's wrath is going to be poured out on them because of it. And lest we judge God as unfair for his anger and judgment towards sin, we would do well to remember first that God is holy, set, us, set apart, creator of the universe, and perfectly does whatever he pleases. Second, God has exercised divine patience with Israel and the nations for centuries waiting for them to repent and to, to turn back to him. They never do. At least it doesn't last. And then third, God even sent messengers to, to call Israel and the nations to repent. He sent them prophets. He sent them priests. He even sent them kings to call them to return to the Lord and, and away from idols. And they never did. So what's the remedy to all of this injustice? It isn't justice. The remedy to injustice is perfect justice. And here Habakkuk rightly recognizes that God's just wrath on Israel's sin is about to be poured out on them. And he pleads for mercy. God's racham. God's mercy. Side note, I was teaching our daughters uh, this uh, word for mercy here, racham. And as I was listening to them try to, try to say it, it, it occurred to me, I should probably not ask us as a church family to repeat that this morning. <laughs> you don't want to spit on your neighbor. 
Mercy is God's daily compassion for his people in spite of their sinfulness. Mercy is God's daily compassion on his people in spite of their brokenness. And Habakkuk is is pleading to God for mercy. Why? Because sinners in the hands of a wrathful God is terrifying. Israel certainly doesn't deserve his mercy, but that's what makes mercy so amazing. We don't deserve God's mercy either. And yet, here it is for us. You want to know how you're experiencing God's mercy? You're here right now with air in your lungs, your heart beating. So here's the the, the flow of this verse. Habakkuk remembers the the work of God, which brings a greater fear of God. And then it gives a greater hunger for God. And in this last line here, verse 2, leads to a deeper need for God. You see, without God's mercy, his wrath would just be all-consuming. Habakkuk is like, oh Lord, we need your mercy. In the midst of your judgment, we are, are desperate for it. Oh God, we deserve your wrath. We do. We've rebelled. We've, we've turned our, our, our backs to you and not our faces, oh God. So we deserve your judgment. But we're desperate for your mercy. And it's interesting here is that while Habakkuk here is remembering the work of God, he's now asking God to remember something as well. God, would you remember your mercy? We need it. Don't forget it. So what does this mean for us? Is God's wrath on me, you might ask? I mean, I'm a, a broken person as well. Is it possible that, that God's on the throne of heaven and his wrath is covering me? I think that's absolutely a great question. And the answer to the question is, it depends. For those who are not followers of Jesus, John 3 says that anyone who does not believe and obey the Son of God, that's Jesus, is already condemned. It goes on to say later in John 3, and the wrath of God remains on them. A rejection of of Jesus Christ is a rejection of God, and the final verdict in the courtroom of God's eternal judgment is guilty. And the sentence is eternal separation from God. It's God's just response to sin. But loved one, if that's your situation here this morning, let me just say this. God compassionately and mercifully invites you to come to him. It's an open invitation. His arms are wide open. Might you do that? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the good news is actually great news. God's wrath is not on us. Scripture says that we've been justified, we've been declared righteous 
on the basis of Christ's actual perfect righteousness. And now God's in the process of making us righteous. But you see, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, God poured out the full measure of his wrath towards sin on Jesus Christ in the cross. And it has been fully satisfied. No more wrath. Jesus Christ bore what we deserved on the cross. And by his blood, he purchased redemption for us. Tell me, does that increase your awe? So for those of us who believe in this Savior, we enjoy endless mercy, no wrath. I also just want to point out something really cool here about Habakkuk's, uh, Habakkuk's plea for mercy. We are living testimonies that God answered his prayer. You realize we wouldn't be here if God had not answered this prayer and plea for mercy? <laughs> so how is your fear of God this morning? Maybe we could ask it this way. How well are you remembering the work of God? Because uh, it leads to greater awe of God, which leads to a, a greater hunger for God. And a, a greater hunger for God leads to a deeper need for God. How then shall we live? What do we do with this? Well, let me encourage us, encourage us with two things this morning. Encourage us to do two things this week. Thing one, pray this verse. Pray this verse every day. Let Habakkuk's prayer be our prayer this week. Cry out to God in remembrance of his work, in awe of his work, hungry for more of it, and in desperate need for more of him and his mercy and grace in your life. Pray this verse. Thing two, remember his work. Remember his work in scripture and remember his work in your life. In order to remember his work in scripture, we need to have our eyes in scripture. And so I would challenge us to have our eyes in scripture this week. See and savor the work of God in it. In terms of seeing the, remembering the work of, of God in our lives, sometimes it's helpful to uh, draw a timeline of your life and go back and look at specific times of your life where you can say and you remember God was at work in that time of my life. I couldn't see it then, maybe. I do now. And if you're here this morning, you have no fear of God, meaning that you are not a follower of Christ, then I want to love you enough. In fact, it would be unloving of me not to ask that you would remember that God's saving mercy is available to you if you just simply believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Redeemed in Christ, brother, sister, this week when sin threatens to condemn, remember that because of the work of salvation that God did there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God for his forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. And let's get up and keep walking together 
arm in arm, side by side, striving for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray together. O Lord, we have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do we fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known to us here at Radiant Bible Church that this is a place where you show up and you show off your greatness, O God. It's not about us. It is about you. And may it never be about us. May it always be about you and your greatness. And in your wrath towards sin, remember the mercy that you gave us on the cross of Christ. Now you've made it available to all those who place their faith in Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you are doing even in this moment. Increase our awe of you, O Lord, as we remember more and more of your work. And O God, would you do more and more of that and reveal it to us here and to the uttermost parts of the earth, O God. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.